Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Bible says that uh, in Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 12 that uh, our prophet Ezekiel had a vision. And in this vision, Ezekiel sees what's going on in Israel. Let me tell you a story. Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years by the Babylonians. And during this 70-year period, there was a remnant that stayed behind in Jerusalem. And this remnant turned their backs on the God of the Bible. That's what the vision that Ezekiel is seeing here. And Ezekiel is in captivity. He's in Babylon. And while he's in Babylon, the Lord appears to him and takes him in a vision to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, Ezekiel is taken to Solomon's temple. Eventually, the Babylonians destroy Solomon's temple. But what Ezekiel sees in the temple is a shocking vision. We see in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12, that the Bible says that the son of, uh, man, son of man, that's Ezekiel, he's asked a question. Have you seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Have you seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery, for they say, the Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. So instead of the ancients of Israel, the holy men, the priests, the religious folk, instead of them worshiping worshiping the true God of Israel, Instead of them uh, doing the sacrifices that are required in Solomon's temple, instead of them praying for their brothers and sisters who were in captivity in Babylon, they have retreated to a place where evil abounds. The chamber that the verse speaks of is a literal room in the temple. And on the walls of the room are images. And these images are idols. If you would, I'll show you exactly what's there. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 8. Ezekiel 8, 8. So in this vision, God speaks to Ezekiel, and he says, Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I, Ezekiel, had digged in the wall, behold, there was a door. And he said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So Ezekiel goes into the room in verse 10, and he saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. So Ezekiel goes into the room, the chamber of imageries, and instead of seeing holy men pouring over the law of Moses, And see, instead of seeing holy men praying to the Most High God, he sees every abomination, every creeping thing, all the idols of Israel all around the room. What does that have to do with me in the 21st century, you say? I'll tell you. For the Christian, those of you in the room who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that moment where you turned from sin, you repented, and you believed on him. For you, this message 
is an admonition. For you, this message is an instruction in righteousness. Because the 21st century application of the chamber of your imageries, it's your heart. That's where secrets hide. They hide in the heart of man. There are things that you know about yourself that no one will never know. There are things that you know about yourself that you would never tell. When the ancients were in Solomon's temple, they thought that God couldn't see them. They did what they did, Bible says, in the dark. The same holds true 3,000 years later. When sinners want to sin, the first thing they'll do is darken the room, be it a nightclub, a concert, wherever a person wants to go and partake in their sin and give in to their lusts and their desires and their impulses, it'll be done in the dark. And it hasn't changed in 3,000 years. So that's what the ancients of Israel were doing. They were sinning in the dark. And they continued in their sin, instead of having a fear of the living God, they continued in their sin because they thought the Lord couldn't see them. They continued in their sin because sin abounded in their world. And they thought the Lord had forsaken them. We step out of this door, out of this sanctuary, and we step into a sin-ridden world. It doesn't matter if it's a bus going down the street with an advertisement on the side of it. It doesn't matter if it's a boombox uh, blaring uh, some, uh, uh, the latest music out of someone's car or if you're sitting home and you're watching television, it's not the shows, it's the commercials you have to be afraid of. That they'll pop up and they're selling, using sex to sell everything from ice cream cones to hamburgers to tires on cars. And then we're exposed to that as believers in Christ. And it wears us down. It wears us down. We go to work, we go to school. Not everybody there is a believer in Jesus Christ. And then we're worn down and vexed, the Bible says, by the filthy conversation of the wicked. And they'll test you because you proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. And notice that the conversations will drift toward the profane, will drift towards the pornographic, will drift towards some anger or hatred, backbiting, gossiping, because they don't have the same mind that you have. So for the Christian, this message is an admonition. It's an instruction in righteousness. For the unbeliever, for that person in the room today, you may have trusted psychology, you may have trusted philosophy, you may have trusted your own good works, you may have trusted your impulses and your feelings and what your heart says, but you've never trusted the person, Jesus Christ. You've never trusted the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You sought peace through physical activity. You sought peace through yoga. You sought peace through the martial arts. You sought peace through the occult. You sought peace in other religions. You sought peace in other philosophies. You sought peace in other books. But you never sought the Prince of Peace. That's why that turmoil is inside, even as I speak. That's why there's a, a vague opening inside of you that you try to fill in so many different ways, but you can't ever completely fill it. Because that emptiness can only be filled through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So for the Christian, this is an admonition, an instruction in righteousness. Be holy because God is holy. God calls you out to be a holy people. But for that person who has yet to trust Jesus Christ, it's a warning. It's a warning. It's like being on the high sea. 30-foot waves are crashing over your boat. Your boat is sinking. You're going into the depth. The only thing you have to hold you up is that life preserver. Jesus Christ is throwing you a life preserver. The Bible says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord does not want to see you die in your sins and spend eternity into hell. In hell. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible sent Jesus Christ to die on a bloody cross at Calvary to be buried for three days, and he rose from the grave so that all who believe might have eternal life. That's what God is doing through this message to you who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's reaching out to you one more time. He's throwing that life preserver against the high sea because he doesn't want to see you die in your sins and perish and go to hell. So for one group of individuals in this room, it's an admonition. For another, it's a warning, an opportunity, an opportunity to get your life right with Jesus Christ. You're not turning over a new leaf. It's about putting trust and faith and confidence in the Lord. So this message is called, Where Secrets Hide. We have secrets about ourselves that we've never told anyone. We have secrets about ourselves that we never will tell. The modern day, once again, application of this chamber of imageries, where the ancients would go and practice their vile and profane religions. It's the human heart. We like to think there is something comfortable about our hearts. We celebrate Valentine's Day, and we have the little red hearts everywhere. And uh, we think that this is uh, uh, what the Lord's view of the heart is. But God has a different view, a different perception of the heart, does he not? For those of you who have been around the Bible for a while, God is very specific about his opinion of the human heart. If you would, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, the ninth verse. Some of you know this verse uh, by heart by now. (laughs) But Jeremiah chapter 17, no pun intended. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, and this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Here's a little insight into the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I didn't write it. God said it. Jeremiah wrote it. But it still applies over 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Take a moment. Reflect through your own life. How many times have you trusted your heart and your heart has tricked you? How many times have you trusted an emotion? How many times have you trusted an impulse? How many times have you trusted a feeling and the outcome was not what you desired? How many times have you walked into an experience because your heart told you so? And then you found out that the heart can't be trusted. God told Jeremiah that 2,500 years ago. And we're still wrestling with that truth. We want to believe our hearts. We want to to believe that the impulses and the feeling that we have inside are valid and reliable. But the old prophet said, that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Well, that's Old Testament, preacher. We're not under the law anymore. We're living under grace. 
Well, let's see what our Lord had to say about it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. Matthew chapter 15, 18th verse. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. First book of the New Testament. The Bible says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from where? The heart. And they defile the man. For out of the where? The heart. Proceed evil thoughts. And then there's a whole list after that. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemy. Let's drop anchor with evil thoughts. Okay? Because we all have evil thoughts. And something we can relate to. You can sit right there in the pews of a Bible-believing church and have an evil thought. Amen? Of course you can. You think the devil's going to wait outside the door until church is over and wait for you to come outside and then, then plant that evil thought there or suggest an evil thought? Of course not. The devil will walk through the door just like he did at the Last Supper, pull up a chair and, Amen! With the best of them. And then while you're sitting there and I'm telling you about a loving God who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and bore your burdens at Calvary and he doesn't want anything from you except your trust, that thought will zing through your mind. Could be an evil thought. Could be, what am I going to have for lunch? I need to wash the car today. What's coming on TV tonight? Who's that woman think she is? Who's that guy I think he is? Why is he looking at me that way? You know, those, amen, those are those thoughts that go, go through people's minds. <laughs> you got to witness over here. <laughs> those are those kind of thoughts that go through our minds. So that's why I dropped anchor at evil thoughts. Because, you know, adulteries, blasphemies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's, that's pretty hardcore stuff. But evil thoughts, that's where we live. That's where we live. Because our hearts, desperately wicked deceitful above all things. We don't want to believe that. I like to go on Facebook to see what my kids are doing. And it's really interesting how the Facebook generation responds to world events. And it's always, uh, there's no understanding of the spiritual life. It's no understanding of the way God sees the world. The uh, way the Facebook generation, and I'm part of it, I guess, is that we see things from the, the realm of our friends and how many likes we get, and how many people, you know, click on our, on our post, and then we get some sort of, you know, self-satisfaction out of that. Because, oh, they like me, they really like me. They clicked on it 190 times. <laughs> That's our world. God has a different and broader perspective, amen? Amen. So the point being, folks, is that this human heart is not to be trusted. It's not to be trusted. Now, that's not to say that God can't do something about it. God can change that heart, and we'll get to that later in the message. But I want to give you two solid points at the the beginning. First of all, we're talking about where secrets hide. They hide in the human heart. And the first thing about this secret place that I want you to know is that that secret, that chamber of imagery, that secret heart, that secret place, It's created by pride, foolish pride. 
Sometimes pride is a good thing. I'm proud of my son. He graduated from kindergarten. He went into the first grade today. You know, you put a little cap and gown on this you know, five-year-old kid, you know. Things have changed. <laughs> so that's a good kind of, that's okay, I would think, you know, because you, you, know, you want to encourage your child. But that pride, also known as hubris, you know, that arrogance, that overconfidence, that's what I'm talking about. That's what creates the secret place. So the first point is that the secret places are created by pride. In verse 12, at the end of the verse, we see that uh, the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark every man in the chambers of his imagery, to say the heart. For they say, the Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. How arrogant is that? How prideful is that? God created the heavens and the earth. God created you. He scooped up some dust, breathed his life into it, and created Adam. He had Adam go to sleep. He took a rib out of Adam's side, and he created woman. It wasn't about monkeys, you know, being in a pool of chemicals, and lightning hit the pool of chemicals, and, you know, some little animal crawled out of it and took a chance. I'm going on land, fellas. No, don't go up there. We don't know what's up there, man. I'm going on land, fellas, you know. So the guy gets out of the, out of the pool, and he goes up on land, and then he turns into uh, Albert Einstein. I don't think it works that way. I think in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and I believe God made humanity. That being said, he also gave humanity freedom of free choice, free will. We're not automatons. We're not robots. We're not marionettes hanging by threads that God manipulates. We are men and women, boys and girls, with free thoughts, free will, free choice. And we can choose whether or not to serve a holy God, or we can choose whether to serve our vile hearts. Those who choose to serve their hearts, that's where pride comes in. And in that pride, it lives within the heart of man, in that secret place. For the Christian, that's something we need to get out every day. For the unbeliever, that's all you have. You only have one nature. You only have that one heart. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But that's all you've got. So I'm not surprised when people take up guns and commit uh, mass shootings. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me when 18-year-old boy straps a bomb, a suicide vest to himself, pushes a trigger, and explodes and kills 16 people. Doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me when I drive through downtown Los Angeles and I see people sleeping in tents on the sidewalk and they're uh, using uh, heroin or smoking crack cocaine. Doesn't surprise me. Because that's what sinners do. What did you do before you came to Christ? Oh, 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 preacher, you're getting too close to home now. You're talking about me. Yes, I am. <laughs> Who were you? before you came to Christ. Now, there are some who were fortunate enough to come to the Lord when they were five, six years old, and they had legitimate conversions, and they came to know the Lord. Hallelujah. But then there are others, like me. I didn't hear the gospel until I was 28 years old. Didn't grow up in the church. Only went to church on Easter to see the girls. You know, thought I was a good person. Had my education, did all the right things. Never killed anybody, never went to prison. 
served in the military, you know, thought I was a pretty good citizen, thought I was contributing to my neighborhood, all that. But I never knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and I didn't think I needed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because I was good. I was good. I grew up in, in the ghettos of Baltimore. I got out of there, went into the Army. After the Army, went back to college, got a master's degree. I got out of there! Never a drug addict, never an alcoholic, never beat my wife, never killed anyone. I was good. Served 25 years as a police lieutenant, enforcing the law. Good man. But I never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So my good works avail for nothing. If I had died in my sins before I came to Jesus Christ, I would have gone to a, a burning hell. Why? Because I am not good enough. If I was good enough to earn my way into heaven, then Jesus Christ would not have had to die on the cross at Calvary. So our pride that hides in that secret place, that's, that's what makes us think that we have enough confidence you know, to sin and that God is not going to see our sin. But as we read in our opening text, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. So the first point is that the secret places are created by pride. You probably all heard the story of Icarus. It comes out of Greek mythology. That's the fellow who flew too close to the sun. It's still an interesting story and application to this day, and it's amazing that it's made its way all the way through the centuries. But Icarus's dad was named Daedalus. Daedalus was a great architect. They lived on the Isle of Crete. The king of Crete was Midas. Midas, who had the golden touch, and everything he touched turned to gold. But Midas had some issues. He had this uh, beast called the Minotaur. It was half bull and half man. So you can't let this thing walk around the city. So Daedalus was commissioned to build a labyrinth, a maze, to put the Minotaur into it. And once the Minotaur was put inside of this maze, this is all Greek mythology, actually it was Greek religion at the time, then the king would sacrifice virgins to the Minotaur. He'd send 12 virgins every year into the labyrinth. And, uh, of course, uh, the Minotaur, being a beast, you know, would, uh, would just wreak violence and havoc on these young ladies. Eventually, a guy named Perseus comes along and takes, uh, kills the Minotaur. But in the meantime, Daedalus and Icarus' son realize, we've got to get out of here. The king's nuts. Every day, something new is coming along that we don't like. So Daedalus created these wings, made out of feathers, covered in wax. And he told Icarus, teenager, he says, look, when we escape, don't fly too close to the water because the wings will get damp and you'll crash into the sea. Don't fly too close to the sun because the wax will melt and what will happen? You'll crash into the sea. I was a teenager once. I don't remember listening to my parents too often. I remember being bold. I remember being... Uh, arrogant. I remember having confidence. When I was 21, I used to jump out of airplanes. Now I'm scared to get on an escalator, you know. <laughs> Things change. <laughs> Only kidding about the escalator. Uh, but high stairs, you know. You know. Now we used to jump out of planes, you know, 1,250 feet. 
And we're running and we're shouting and we're screaming and we're having a good time. Out the door, yeah! You know, just flying through the air with the greatest of ease. And then one day I turned uh, 50 and life changed. (laughs) Didn't have that same boldness and that same confidence. Point being is that a young man flying through the air, Icarus got excited. So he wanted to swoop and he wanted to do circles and he wanted to fly around his dad and he flew too close to the sun. And because of his foolish pride, the wax on the wings melted and Icarus crashed into the sea. And Daedalus had to fly on with his heart broken because he had just lost his his young son. That's an ancient example from Greek mythology that used to be the religion of the Greeks. But the application still holds true today. If we are overconfident, if we hold on to that pride, we too will fly too close to the sun. The wax will melt on our wings and we will crash into the sea. In a spiritual context, if you're too proud to recognize your need for a savior today, you will die in your sins and you will go to hell. Not because I want you to go there, not because the Lord wants you to go there. The Bible teaches us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for you. If you go to hell, it's not because God didn't try to stop it. I'm a roadblock right now on your way to hell if you haven't trusted Christ. Why are you talking about hell so much? I didn't talk about hell as much as Jesus did. He preached about hell more than anybody else in the scriptures because it's a real place. And he died on the cross and shed his blood to keep you from going there. And then he raised up little preachers like me from the projects of Baltimore to proclaim the truth that is available, that you can have salvation, you can have eternal life by putting your faith and your confidence and trust in Jesus Christ today. That's all you have to do. You don't have to give money to the church. You don't have to sing a solo or with a trio up here. You don't have to play the piano. You don't have to teach Sunday school. You don't have to sweep the leaves off the sidewalk. You don't have to follow the holy days of obligation. You don't have to pray a rosary. You don't have to stand outside with a bunch of Watchtower Society magazines uh, saying I'm a Jehovah's Witness and only 144,000 of us are going to be saved. Don't have to do any of that stuff. All you have to do is put your faith and your confidence and your trust in Jesus Christ. But pride in the secret place will prevent a sinner from doing that. And we're all sinners, believe me. Sinners saved by grace. Marvelous grace. Marvelous grace. So we look at our first point, that the secret place is created by pride. Secondly, the secret place is inhabited by wickedness. Uh, If you would, Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 14. And I'll explain all this to you. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 14 through 16. Once again, we go back to Ezekiel. And he says, Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. And he brought me, this is the vision that that Ezekiel's having, and he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And what are they doing? They're worshiping the sun. 
What's wrong with that, preacher? We don't worship the sun. We worship the sun, S-O-N, but we do not worship the S-U-N. In verse 14, Ezekiel in his vision, he's at the temple. Right now where the temple used to stand is uh, the mosque of the Golden Dome, Al-Akbar, over in Jerusalem. You've seen pictures of Jerusalem and then that building with the Golden Dome on top of it. That's where Solomon's temple used to be. That's where this temple used to stand. So Ezekiel, in his vision, he goes to, to the temple and he sees women weeping. And they're crying over someone named Tammuz. So you students of Greek mythology, you know that uh, Adonis was a main character in the, the Greek mythology. Well, that's who Tammuz is. It's a Babylonian name for Adonis, very handsome young man. And the way he died, he got stabbed by a boar and he died and the goddesses, you know, they were fighting over him and all this kind of stuff. That's how the story goes. So now you've got this cult, a cult in Solomon's temple weeping over Adonis. And then the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says, you haven't seen anything yet. There are worse abominations than these. And in verse 16 of Ezekiel chapter 8, the Lord brings Ezekiel into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the, door of the Lord, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, there were 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun. That's a pagan ritual. That's what the problem is. You see pyramids down in Peru, and you see pyramids in Mexico, and you see pyramids in Egypt. And the one thing those pyramids have in common is that they were all built not only as tombs, but to worship the sun. The Incas, the uh, Mayans, the Aztecs, the Egyptians, just like us, they all saw the sun rise in the east and set in the west. They saw it every day, consistently. So they built, built these great uh, pyramids that still stand to this day. Worshiping the sun is what the pagans do. Worshiping the sun is what the heathen does. Not believers in the God of Israel. Not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's false religion. So here in Solomon's temple, false religion is being practiced. And the Bible says that it is an abomination. Wickedness takes place in the secret place. Remember, Jesus said, from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. That's what's happening here in this chapter. That's the application to our lives. That's what rests inside of us, that potential for wickedness. Well, you don't know me at all. You just shook my hand for the first time today. You have no idea who I am, what I've done in life. You don't know what good I've done, how I've taken care of my elderly parents. You know, how I just take care of my responsibilities in life. You don't know anything about me. Well, what I do know about you is that you're a sinner, <laughs> just like me. And what I do know is that we all have that propensity for evil, for wickedness.
Anytime you see someone who does some heinous crime on television, the neighbors will say what? They were so quiet. They always waved at us. They were friendly to the kids. I'm shocked. This is a quiet neighborhood, almost, almost to a person on these news stories. And I love mothers. Mothers are with you, win, lose, or draw, you know. My, my mom's good. My mom was that way, too. Oh, he's a good boy. He'd never do that. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> but I knew that she had my back. So that's what mothers do. Mothers will, you know, they'll have their, their kids back, win, lose, or draw. But there's that inherent problem of sin. I'll show you exactly what I mean. Romans chapter 5, please. Verse 19. We like to think there's some inherent goodness about us, but it's just the opposite. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Romans chapter 5, 19th verse. I'll read it if you're not there already. The Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Who's the one man? The first, the first uh, part of the verse. By one man's disobedience. Who's the Bible talking about? Adam. Right. So by Adam's disobedience, Paul tells the church at Rome, many were made sinners. Adam was told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Read the story. It's in Genesis. It hasn't changed in 3,000 years. But Adam disobeyed. And then we all know Eve's part. We all know the serpent's part. But Adam knew what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to take care of the garden. He had access to every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he bit into the forbidden fruit, and as a result, the Bible says, sin and death came into the world. That's where the gangs come from. That's where the drug abuse comes from. That's where the domestic violence comes from. That's where the hatred and rebellion against God comes from. Because sin and death came into the world. Before Adam disobeyed God's word, we lived in harmony with God. We were his creation. He loved us. We loved him. Adam walked daily in the garden with the Lord. How wonderful to have fellowship with the Lord God on a regular basis. But the moment that Adam bit into that forbidden fruit, Sin came into the world and fractured, destroyed that relationship between you and God. That's the spiritual point of view. That's what the Bible's point of view is. It's not about slavery causing our problems today. It's not about we, we better elect Bernie Sanders, you know, because we need to drift towards socialist government. It's not about I hate Donald Trump. <laughs> I hate Hillary Clinton. And don't forget George W. Bush, what he did eight long years ago. It's not about that. It's about the fact that sin and death came into the world by man's disobedience to God. And what did that do? It changed your heart. <laughs> it changed your heart. The thing I love about this church is that it's diverse. It's not all Korean. It's not all black. It's not all Caucasian, you know, it's not all Hispanic. We all sit together here in the presence of a holy God. We're all drawn together because of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's where our, our identity should lie. There folks from South Pacific, there folks from South America, folks from the East Coast of the United States, but our identity rests in Jesus Christ. So you ask me, who am I? I'm a Christian. I'm not a something hyphen American, <laughs> okay? I'm not a kid from Baltimore. I'm a Christian. Not a retired police officer. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. That's where my identity rests. Now, the secret places are created by pride, secret places inhabited by wickedness, and the secret places are cleansed by God. There was a fellow uh, during World War II named uh, Joseph Mengele. Have you ever heard of Joseph Mengele? Raise your hand. Okay, two. Good, good. New information. He was a medical doctor, Dr. Joseph Mengele. And he was a physician in the uh, German army. And during World War II, the United States was at war with Italy, Germany, and Japan. So Adolf Hitler was the leader of Germany. And he had this idea to exterminate the Jews. He called it the final solution. He thought the Jews were an inferior race, and he thought that anyone of German heritage was the master race. So the United States had to get into the war and help him get his mind right. So Joseph Mengele was posted at a concentration camp slash extermination camp called Auschwitz. And what I'm going to do is give you an example of pure evil. This fellow was highly educated, an accomplished physician, and what his job was at Auschwitz was to meet the, the railroad cars that were filled with Jews that had been deported from all over Europe and sent to Auschwitz. And what he would do is determine who would live and who would die. So as the Jews got off the, off the boxcars, and if you've never seen any of this stuff, you know, then go to the Holocaust Museum here in Los Angeles. This is a real education. As the Jews got off the boxcars, uh, those that Dr. Mengele thought could not do the work, like little children, some women, uh, those who were sick, he would send them to gas chambers. And they would go to the gas chambers, were told to take off all their clothes, off all their jewelry, and they would go into the gas chambers naked, and then this chemical, as a pesticide called Zyklon B, would be released, and then they would be murdered. Then the bodies would be thrown into a crematorium, and the crematoriums would go night and day, burning human bodies. On the other hand, those who <clears throat> felt like he felt they could do, so do the work, like men, stronger women, they were separated to the side. People who had specific, special skills, like playing the violin, baker, stuff like that, they were separated also. But what made Dr. Mengele evil is that not only was he separating people, he was looking for specific types of people. He was looking for twins, he was looking for people who had two different eye colors, and he was looking for dwarfs. The reason why is because his field of expertise in the civilian world was genetic research. So what Dr. Mengele did was conduct experiments on human beings. And I won't go into the, the vileness and the wickedness of his experiments, but just keep in mind, twins, and dwarfs, 
and people who had two different color eyes. So whatever you can imagine, that's how horrible uh, Dr. Mengele's experiments were. This fellow managed to escape Germany. Uh, he lived out his days in uh, South America, and he drowned uh, while swimming in the ocean off Brazil. So he's stood before God, and God's, God's judgment took care of that part of it. I use him as an example because wickedness hides in the heart of man. This was an educated fellow, but he was a true believer in Nazism. He was a true follower of Adolf Hitler. He was a true believer in the final solution to exterminate Jews. But finally, the Jews were, were liberated. Evil is in this world that you can possibly imagine. I've seen things as a police officer that the human mind was not created to see. Maybe some of you also, if you've been in combat or some high-stress uh, job, uh, perhaps you too have seen it. Emergency room nurses, they see it all the time. But we see what man can do to mankind. There's a solution for that wickedness that inhabits the secret place. There's a solution for that wickedness that is created by pride. And these secret places can be cleansed by God. Back to Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, and this is my last point. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. Ezekiel chapter 9, the fourth verse. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Let me get you up to speed. So in the midst of all this evilness and spiritual wickedness that's taking place in Jerusalem, where you have high priests actually worshiping the sun, God has a remnant. He's got a group of believers who have never turned their backs on the living God. So they're not participating in the evilness of, that's happening in Jerusalem, in their city. It's like we're here in Gardena. Not too far away is Beverly Hills, Brentwood, Hollywood. What you read on the, uh, in the Internet and what you read in the tabloids and what you read in People magazine is only the tip of the iceberg of what happens in those communities. Only the tip of the iceberg. And whatever evil you can imagine, pedophilia, uh, wife swapping, um, transsexualism, transgenderism, all that stuff. 25 short miles from here, Beverly Hills, Brentwood, and Hollywood. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of money, they have a lot of time on their hands and they get into some really, 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 really evil things. So they're there. Some of them can't get out of bed this morning. Why? Because they've been partying to 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. But then, where are you? You're at Normandy, near Artesia, at Bible Baptist Church. You're the remnant. <laughs> okay? That's who you are. You're these folks here. And when you pray, you get down on your knees or sit in your chair, and you'll ask God to have mercy on Los Angeles, have mercy on America, have mercy on the world, have mercy on our family members who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So all this wickedness is happening out there. All this wickedness. You're surrounded by it. You don't have to go that far. You can just go a couple of blocks over in Gardena and find the same wickedness. 
sex clubs and all that stuff, gambling, you know, and, and that Normandy Casino. It's not that far away. Adult stores, you know, it's not, it's not that far away. But where are you? Bible Baptist Church on Normandy, just north of our teaching. You are the remnant who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are the remnant who cry out for Jerusalem. So even though you have religious leaders in the pulpits today who will not preach Jesus Christ, who will not preach against sin, who will not preach against the wickedness of this present generation, but they're telling people how to balance their checkbooks, or they're preaching prosperity theology. Trust God, he wants you to be rich. Nah not Bible. We've got all kind of cults up and down the streets, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, got all kind of folks uh, joining the churches but never getting saved. Baptist churches! Doors of the church are open. Folks will come forward, sit in a chair. You're now a member of so-and-so, a Baptist church, but no change of life, no conversion, no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here at Bible Baptist, we're not into easy believism. Anybody want to be saved? Raise your hand. Amen. You're saved. We don't do that. You have to talk to the Lord. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't give you the words. They have to come from that vile, wicked place inside. And you're asking him to change that place. Are you with me? Amen. So I thank God for you sitting here today. <laughs> Why? Because you, you are the folks here in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4, verse 4, that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. That's, that's who we are, the believers in this room. Now, God can do an amazing thing, and I'll wrap it up here. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 11. Still staying with Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 11 Verse 17, where secrets hide. Secret places are created by pride. Secret places are inhabited by wickedness. Secret places are cleansed by God. Ezekiel uh, chapter 11, verse 17. The Bible says, therefore say, thus saith the Lord God. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. Tell the people I will even gather you from the people and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. Drop down to verse 19. God says, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Does that sound like your life, Christian? Does that sound like something God did for you? Did he take that stony heart inside that I talked about at the beginning and turn it into a heart of flesh? Do you remember that moment when that happened? Do you obey the laws and the ordinances and commandments of God not to get saved, but because you are saved? That's what the difference is. We don't follow the Ten Commandments and you know, make sure we're in church, make sure we tithe and do this, that, and the other to please God or to earn our way into heaven. Ain't going to get you there. What gets you there is the door. <laughs> the door. And Jesus couldn't have made it any clearer. He said, I am the door. And once you trust the door, 
then God the Father does something miraculous. He changes your heart. He gives you a new spirit. He gives you a new nature. And for the Christian in the room, once those things have happened, he gives you the power to live the Christian life. He gives you direction through the Holy Word of God, through the Bible. You don't need a vision like Ezekiel. All you need is Genesis to Revelation. And it's clear, the path is clear. It's a light unto your feet. So, press for time. I'm going to put, put the brakes on. But the secret places are cleansed by God. So, without Jesus Christ, without the blood that Christ shed at Calvary, that's where this wickedness abides. But for the Christian, you could ask that that chamber of your imagery be cleared out by simply trusting that Christ died on the cross for your sins, he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. That's all you need. Remember the thief on the cross, two thieves on the cross, Jesus in the middle, one on the left, one on the right, and they're both railing at him. If you're the Christ, if you're the Christ save us and save yourselves. And they're cursing at him, they're spitting, they're dying, they're in pain. But one of them bought a clue, and he looked at Jesus and he says, I believe you are the Christ. And Jesus looked at him, and what did he say? Go to synagogue, tithe your money, go do good works. No. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Don't blow that story off. It's very familiar. Easter story. Meditate on it a little bit. Chew on it. Let it marinate. What did the thief have to do to have eternal life? He trusted Jesus. That's all he had to do. That's all he had to do. Now, in a few moments, I'll give an invitation, give you an opportunity to put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. Uh, Friday night, uh, Muhammad Ali died. Who, 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 who knows who Muhammad Ali was? It's very interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Probably uh, the greatest boxer of his generation, of his generation. And uh, I've been watching a lot of documentaries the last 48 hours you know, about Ali. And one of the recurring themes that I see in the documentaries is that Ali is always, or was always uh, helping people. He was always helping people. If you wanted an autograph, you know, he'd stop and give you an autograph. Uh, if you wanted him to come to a charity event, he would come to the charity event. If he was signing autographs, he wouldn't stop until everybody had their autograph stopped. And the recurring theme through this documentary was, and he said it himself, that if there is a heaven, I want to know that I'm going to get in because of what I'm doing. And that was the recurring theme through all that. And I've seen all of his fights when I was a kid. So I was more interested in, you know, hopefully somebody slipped into the room and, and shared the gospel with him again, and he put his faith and confidence in Christ. I don't know, you know. I always kind of hope that, you know, when, when people pass away, especially people that are, that are iconic and impacted my life. But that was the theme in this doc, these documentaries that, uh, he uh, uh, was trying to work his way into heaven. Trying to work his way into heaven. We can't work our way into heaven, folks. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So we wouldn't have to do the work. I don't want to be nailed to a cross. I don't want a crown of thorns pushed down on my brow. I don't want to be scourged with a whip until the bones in my back are showing through. I don't want people spitting in my face plucking out my hair. I don't want to go through that. But Jesus took it. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe.